You are listening to the Gator Slant, a Florida Gators podcast from ChopTalk.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Gator Slant, an all-sports Florida Gators podcast from ChompTalk.com. Hey guys, we have now made it to episode 22. As always, I'm joined by Ryan Haley and Jesse Richardson. Guys, how are we doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Ryan. How are you? And Jesse still has the soundboard, so it's a good oh, day. Oh my goodness, I totally <laughs> forgot. You know what? Off the air, before you guys actually got in, before Ryan and Caroline, you guys got in, uh, Jesse's mic was all messed up, and it, it sounded like different, like Darth Vader and then like Snoopy, and it had all these sounds, right. and he had no idea. And I thought I was he was doing say, it, just was messing gonna... with me. <laughs> I, was I thought he was say, just messing with me. Too. And I'm like, all right, when is this going to end? Like, yeah, it's getting old already. So, um, and he goes, wait, do I sound different? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so that was that was a lot of fun. That was a good way Jesse, to start Jesse, the day, huh? Jesse, th- this is not reassuring from the mix man, dude. It's, well, you see, I, I must have hit a button. And the catch is, so far, is I haven't figured out how to hear myself. So I just, I went in blind and... Apparently, I, that was just the wrong bet to make, and it obviously, <laughs> obviously backfired very fast. But uh, it turned out to be a, a very funny twenty seconds. I had no idea because Brian was giving me like blank looks, like and I was just like, I must sound really weird right now. <laughs> but well, like I said, I just kept waiting for it to end, and it never did. And I was like, okay, so this is just going to be like, does he think we're going to record like this? I'm really not okay with that. <laughs> I think um, we should give Jesse full power to record like that for one. Yeah, episode. Like, all right, Darth Vader, let's do it. <laughs> Next episode, let's go. <laughs> hey guys, Good it was a uh, <laughs> guys, it was a really good week uh, for the University of Florida's athletic teams as a whole. Uh, gymnastics won on what is essentially a walk off ten by Trinity Trinity Thomas. Uh, women's basketball completed a 2-0 week, and men's basketball finally got a conference win. Um, I, I do think, though, that we need to start with the program that made history on Sunday. The Gators defeated Alabama in the first ever NCAA gymnastics meet televised on national television. It was on ABC. Uh, Ryan, Jesse, while I definitely want to get your thoughts on this, I want to defer well, for the moment to our own Caroline Freeman. Caroline, thanks for joining us. Hey. Caroline, Glad for, to be those here. That, for those that don't know you, um, you are our gymnastics writer at Chomp Talk, um, and we are very fortunate to have you, and we're very fortunate to have you in the discussion today. But um, just talk a, a little bit about the significance of Sunday's meet. Uh, you know, there's there's several different ways I know you can go with that, so I'm very <laughs> curious to see where you take that. Sure. So Sunday's meet was already historic before it even happened. It was the first ever college gymnastics meet broadcast on network television. It was on ABC. Granted, it wasn't like prime time or anything. It was 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon, but still very significant. Commentated by former Olympians, Bart Connor and Kathy Johnson Clark, who are like the pinnacle of gymnastics commentary. Doesn't get any better than them, um, myself included. So, <laughs> um, but they're, There were so many incredible things that happened in this meet. The Gators rallied from a deficit after the third rotation. And the last time that they trailed a home meet heading into the final rotation was 2014, eight years ago. Like that's, that's huge to go that long in any sport, but particularly in gymnastics, not 
ever trailing going into the final rotation, going into that, you know, fourth quarter, so to speak. Um, but the Gators trailed by more than two tenths going into the final rotation and were able to pull out the win against Alabama with back-to-back tens from Nia Reed and Trinity Thomas on floor. Nia had actually tweeted the night before. She was like, I want to join the Tenno club so bad. And everyone was like, it's going to happen. You're going to do it. You have time. You know, you're a senior. And if you want to take the extra year next year, you can. Well, surprise, girl, you manifested it. You did it. Uh, this is only the third time that Florida has ever had athletes scoring consecutive tenos in a lineup. And the last time it happened was also in 2014 on floor exercise. Bridget Sloan and Keetra Hunter uh, had back-to-back tens. So it's it's pretty incredible to see something like this out of the skater team. And it's a really good omen for the rest of the season. Now, I will say the whole meet did not go well. The Gators were trailing going into the last rotation and lots of people were very concerned. They were saying, you know, this looks really bad for them. Like how can they be losing to Alabama at home? We haven't lost to Alabama at home since 2001. Luckily it did not happen this weekend. So we continue that streak for sure. Uh, But it's, it's definitely something that the Gators will take and work on. There are things to learn out of this meet, but the biggest takeaway is that it was a historic meet for the sport. It was a historic meet for the Gators and they really showed up and showed out for Gator nation and for fans all across the country. And Gator nation really showed up really well. They, it was only the fifth sellout in program history. Um, on top of that, though, they got to see what was a special night, regardless of everything else that was going on with the nationally televised broadcast with the message of equality. Uh, go ahead and Caroline and, and just talk about what that means. Yeah. So the Gators celebrated a quality night, quality afternoon, I guess, um, with several celebrations of different ways that they uh, identify, whether that's their racial identity, LGBTQ plus um, the different marginalized groups. Um, throughout the team really got to celebrate their identities. Naya spoke in the press conference following the event about what it meant to her to use their platform for this, not just, you know, among Gator Nation and at the meet itself, but on network television, which is huge. Um, she said, having this platform means the world to me. My coach and my teammates know how much that means to me. We're a very diverse group of individuals and having my coach who really cares about me and stands up for me, whatever you believe in, whatever you want. She says, I'm a hundred percent there for you. You're my girl and I'm there. That's just amazing. It's truly special to have a quality night and having her here with me and her letting us be who we are means the world to me. I get to be myself every day. And she, Owen, and Adrian are the exact same way. We love it here. I wouldn't trade this team for anything. I wouldn't want to go anywhere else. It's something extremely special. And I think that speaks volumes, not just about Jenny and Adrian and Owen, the coaching staff, but I think it speaks volumes about the culture within the Gator Gymnastics team. You know, these girls really feel supported and celebrated, not just as athletes, but as people. And they were able to go out there and show that on national television, which is not just meaningful for gymnastics as a sport where there have been, you know, problems with discrimination in the past, uh, particularly with Alabama, who the Gators faced on Sunday. Um, But also just as, as a whole in America, like that's something that they got to show up and stand up for themselves for. Like on ABC as B-roll, there were 
Black Lives Matter and gay pride flags being worn by Naya and Savannah Shane hair as capes and they were waving them while an ABC cameraman filmed them. Like just that image alone makes you want to root for this team, makes you want to I don't know. It makes me yeah. want to cry a little bit because like I'm so happy for them that they feel so empowered to be themselves and that they get to go out there and show little girls in the sport of gymnastics that they can also be themselves. And I just just to kind of like jump in and add on to that. I mean, it like again to absolutely reiterate everything that Caroline just said about how awesome it was not only for them to have the chance to have a night like that with this team, but to have a or I guess an afternoon, but to have a meet that celebrates that equality and all of their different ways of life and, and everything within that team on national television. But also like it was as someone who has tried to pay more and more attention to this team over the last three or four years, it felt a little more special for me that it got to be like them. If that makes sense, like out of all of the teams on UF's campus, and this isn't like to disparage any other program in UF's athletic, like athletic department, but out of all of the teams and all of the players on UF's campus, for it to be this gymnastics team that gets to have that equal that celebration of equality on national television and gets to celebrate Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ plus, and for it to be them and seeing how outspoken they've been about it the last few years and how important it is to every single person on that team, I think just added an entirely new layer. And, and I think it's interesting that you mentioned that every year um, the SEC names an all-community service team and typically only picks one athlete from each team. Last year, the entire Gator gymnastics team was named to the all-community service team for the SEC because of their activism work on campus and in Gainesville being outspoken yeah. about the racial injustice movement. Yeah, so, ex like, exactly. And even to further that, like, for so for not only like not only for ABC and UF, because that, that's a coordinated effort, not only for ABC and UF to give them the plant platform to do that, but for it to be them who got that platform and knowing that that's not something they're saying because ABC cameras are on them or because they're on national television, knowing that they're saying it because they really truly mean it and they like really support that from the bottom of their heart and how, how important it is to all of them. Uh, that was just something that I was really happy for each and every one of them for. Yeah, those causes are very personal to them. And mm -hmm. I think that kind of leads me into my next point. Um, Megan Skaggs, who, if you've been reading Chomp Talk, um, I got to do a feature on her and her Tiny Bow project. Um, she's using the new NIL rules to uh, sort of give back. And that's how she's using this extra year of eligibility that she's been gifted. Um, the Tiny Bow project, all well, 30% of all sales, not just of the bows, but from anything on Megan's merch store, um, goes to a group of charities that she's selected. Um, there's a bow for every meet of the season. And uh, she has posted every week so far about, you know, the cause that this week is supporting and a quote from her about why it's important to her and has had uh, teammates and activists come on her Instagram and on her blog to talk about these causes and what people can do to further support them besides just buying into the tiny bow project. And there are causes throughout the whole team that she's chosen. She's chosen mental health awareness, which is really important to her. She's chosen racial injustice, which is very important, not just to her, but it's very personal to folks like Naya 
to uh, Morgan Hurd, who's been part of the Stop AAPI Hate Movement. And uh, it's it's just really cool to see this team supporting each other and making each other's causes their own. And that actually, uh, sorry to cut you off again, Brian, uh, that actually like ties into the next point I wanted to bring up. Because as all of that that Megan Skaggs is doing deserves all of the praise in the world. And it's so much more important than gymnastics. And I'm like glad that she's had that coordinated effort. And it's really been phenomenal to follow. She's also using this extra year to kick ass so far. Um, she really is. She so she recorded in the first in the first quad meet. She recorded a nine set. She competed in all eight rotations through the two meets. In the first quad meet, she reported a nine seven five on the vault. Since then, the other seven rotations, she hasn't recorded less than a, a point that a nine point eight five in any of the seven. Yeah, she's the only athlete to have competed in all four events in both meets so far. Jenny was very quick to point that out in the press conference. They do have the added blessing of so much depth this year, as we've kind of talked about on the on Chom Talk. And uh, but Megan has not just been adamant about yes, she can do it, but she showed up for the team. She's proved herself that she can handle it. Her body can handle it. And she can handle the pressure. She is so cool for this team. She leads them off on being on usually vault, beam, and floor so far. And she has hit every single time. And she she is really a leader for this team in so many different ways. And that, that was the one thing that I felt like Naya's 10 after the night like the afternoon after she tweeted that felt like a movie script. And I'm so glad that got the appreciation because that was, I, this is the first time I've, I had like tons of just like casual UF friends who were posting about this meet, but like, and most, most of that had to do with Nia and Trinity and what they did. And I'm so Aww. happy they got that recognition. Yeah. I felt like Megan winning the all around kind of got lost in that shuffle a little it bit. It did a little bit. And she, she's, a better gymnast now than I think when she came to UF. And I think she's a more whole gymnast now than when she came to UF. She came in pretty injured after elite. Um, and that I know hampered her, um, particularly in her sophomore and junior years. But as they've worked with her to try and figure out routine construction wise, what works for her body and her stamina level and her skill vocabulary, Jeremy Miranda's been able to construct two pass routines for her that don't feel watered down. They feel like full routines. The precision in her choreography, I, I can't say enough. I will gush about this new routine that she has for hours on end because it's so, it's, it's so crisp. The adjectives just aren't there to describe it. <laughs> Caroline, just uh, real quick, I want to backtrack just to, to some of the equality stuff just for a second. Oh, for sure. We we talked briefly before we got on here about, you know, Florida didn't really need the exposure when it came to recruiting. But when you have a head coach like Jenny Rowland and you have this staff where everybody has a voice and everybody's encouraged to share their story, I mean, that kind of sells itself, doesn't it? I, I mean, what's oh, it mean to have that kind of a leader in this program? For sure. I mean, part of the draw of Florida is that it is a top tier program, but I think the reason that so many top tier athletes choose it over places like Alabama, like Georgia, where there are, you know, big name coaches like Courtney Kupetz Carter, or there are, you know, lots more title winning seasons that they've had in the past. The reason they choose Florida is because of the culture. 
and because of the coaching staff. And I think if you talked to any of the recruits that committed uh, this year or that came in this year, that they would tell you the same thing. It feels like home to them because they can be themselves. And you see that reflected in the diversity of this team and in the comfort level that they bring to the floor. Yeah, and it's it's pretty obvious because you look at it and you say it's kind of like Alabama in football recruiting where why would a kid want to go to Alabama and sit behind, you know, five-star galore when you could just go to Florida and play right away? Well, it's the culture that's built. It's a winning culture, and obviously they have the freedom to express themselves, and you got to appreciate that. Uh, Caroline, I do want to move over to, uh, you know, the gym side of things. I know you and Ryan, Ryan got into that. I want to <laughs> ask you, this is uh, kind of a silly question. I know you watch other sports, and Jesse, Ryan, you guys are free to um, answer this as well. It's kind of a silly question, but – the back-to-back tens following a couple of stumbles and a couple of routines prior to it, you know, it was, it was a walk-off win, but what would be the equivalent in other sports? Do you have anything that would really match that? Do you think? Um, for me, I think the only equivalent I can really come up with my, my other big sport that I follow is hockey. It's like coming back from a three, one deficit in the last five minutes of a game and winning four to three. Yeah, because my the thought that kept coming to my head, and, and you know, I follow a little bit of everything, but in baseball, it'd be like a walk off grand slam down by three. But even that just doesn't really seem to. I it's actually, like being down to two outs and two I strikes was, and saying, "Hey, here's your last chance." I was actually gonna kind. I wouldn't say like kind of, like kind of build on that. It, it felt like if you're like down one in the bottom of the ninth, two outs, and someone hits a, like a like a home run to tie it. And the next batter on the first pitch they see hits the walk-off home run. Like that's kind of the vibe it's, of like it's both the drama. of them did something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely the drama. And, and for it to have been Naya and Trinity who are together all of the time, they're best friends. I, I actually got an opportunity to ask them, um, Mary Howard, uh, the, SID for Gator Gymnastics has been nice enough to set up uh, a Zoom where I can at least see and hear and I can type questions that they will ask for me so that I can still participate in press conferences. Um, And Naya and Trinity got to talk a little bit about what it was like to experience that together. I I asked them. um, There was a moment on the broadcast after Trends 10 was posted where you know, everybody immediately tackled her, hugged her. They were screaming and cheering for her. But there was a moment where Naya hugged her and like walked, walk hugged her away from people for a second. And I could see, because Naya's face was facing the camera, I could see her talking. I was like, I want to know what she's saying to her. And so I got to ask that question. She said, we were talking about how crazy this is. We've been manifesting back-to-back tens, working so hard on floor with Adrian, asking how do we get better? Just those little small things. We were just talking how crazy this was. Like, has this even ever happened before? Like back-to-back on floor, what in the world? It means the world to me, especially looking up to her on floor saying, I want to be like her. I want to get that 10. And I want to be up there on that wall. They have a wall in the gym of pictures of all the athletes who have gotten perfect tens and the the date and the event uh that they got the score on uh and now i get to be up there with her and i i get to share it with this lovely lady right here next to me because they were sitting next to each other at the press conference 
neither of them was aware that it was even going to take two tens to win the meet. Naya said, you know, we talk a lot about staying together and focusing on our team, and that's what we did. So I didn't even know we were down until I looked at the scoreboard when they announced my score. Like, she she had no idea what the score was. Je- Jenny piped up and said, oh, oh, I knew. She she's not a big she's not a big numbers person. She confessed it was Adrian who came over and told her he's like their numbers guy. But she's like, oh, oh I knew. I knew that Trin needed a, a 995 to win, 9925 to tie. And for her to get the 10 was just huge for all of them. And Caroline, another story that kind of got buried because of everything. Trinity now with the gym slam. Yes. Uh, oh my god. Not only did she get the the one, she got two <laughs> in yes. the same meet in, in front of a national audience. Yes. So Trinity before this meet had ha- already had tens on bars, beam, and floor. Um, if you get a 10 on all four events, it's called a gym slam. There are only 11 other athletes in the history of the NCAA who have completed such a feat. So Trinity becomes the 12th. She's the third Gator to ever do so. And we are tied for the record with Georgia for the number of athletes. So pretty, pretty cool. I think based on our recruiting and the freshmen that we just brought in, we probably will earn that title outright here in the next couple of years. I'm not saying because I don't want to. I'm not I'm not going <laughs> to say like who because I don't want to I don't, I don't jinx anybody. But I'm going to say that by 2026, uh, that the Gators will have a fourth. I do want to kind of transition to another question, though. What have you thought of the freshman class so far as they've been competing? I feel like that that kind of gets lost in the shuffle with the returners. For sure. I think that we have yet to see their best gymnastics. Leanne Wong won co-freshman of the week uh, this week in the SEC, which is pretty fantastic. 39-3 all-around score. Nothing to sneeze at. She wasn't her best on vault or bars, so there's huge room for her to improve. It's funny, I got reminded on her beam routine, because last week she had a little flub and then added in another element after. We were like, okay, she's, you know, she knows her routine construction. She knows what she needs to start from a 10-0 and not get any up-to-the-level deductions um, for her her beam to be difficult enough. Um because she missed a connection in there somewhere. But this week, she just threw a bunch of, like, random skills in, like, one after the other after the other. And there was a moment when Alyssa Bauman was a freshman. She came into a press conference after winning Beam that week and talked about her routine. She was like, yeah, I I wasn't supposed to do everything, but I did everything anyway. (laughs) I just kind of got lost in doing it. She, like, started rattling off all of the skills that she had done. And I feel like that's probably what happened with Leanne. But it earned her a 9-9. So, like, I'm not mad. I'll take it. Uh, I know that Morgan Hurd is going to be out, unfortunately, this year. She apparently partially tore her ACL this summer and then fully tore it when she was on tour with Simone over the fall semester. So she's had that repaired now. However, even for our superstar gymnasts, it still takes, you know, several months to recover from such a surgery. So we expect her to redshirt and we will see her next season. My husband is very disappointed because Morgan is his favorite gymnast ever. She was she was the first one he ever learned to recognize because she wears glasses like his. It's it's kind of adorable. He's not a big gymnastics. <laughs> it's he's not a big gymnastics guy, but he's learned over the years. Well, now he gets, as now, I've exposed him. If she redshirts, he gets five years instead of four, though. 
Well, that's true. Well, five years at Florida, but that's she's, true. Yeah. she won't get to compete for five years. Yeah. <laughs> um, although all of the other athletes except the freshmen will also have that opportunity um because of the COVID eligibility so we it'll be very interesting to see how the roster shakes out over the next couple of years uh because the gainers usually use all of their scholarships and don't have any extra wiggle room because they are such a coveted program to be in but uh some of those scholarships may be going to uh extra years for some of their uh star seniors so we'll see um, but going back to the freshmen, uh, Riley McCusker is right now only on bars. Wait till she gets in the beam lineup because her beam is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. The finish, she she will remind you a lot of Alyssa, I think, although a little less attack and more elegance. Okay. She That's a is promising yeah. way to describe that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, although when she needs to, she can angry beam. And if you've seen Alyssa <laughs> angry beam, you know what I'm talking about. I haven't heard it described as angry beam before, but I think I'm <laughs> going to now. If if you ever see her go after either she doesn't hit her previous event or somebody else falls. Angry beam. Angry beam. Watch, okay. watch her face because it gets way more intense. Okay. Caroline, <laughs> yeah, another phenomenon. I've never heard it called angry beam before. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Caroline, I- for for some of our our listeners that may not be as familiar with gymnastics, but may have tuned in or may have seen the highlights uh, from the ABC, um, you know, debut or whatever. Um, where would you put Trinity Thomas amongst the Gators Mount Rushmore right now? You know, is she the all-time greatest already? I don't I know, know about all-time greatest, but she is absolutely up there with the greats. I mean, she's the third Gator with a gym slam. Um, Bridget Sloan and Alex McMurtry are the other two. And I would absolutely consider her their equal. Um, they are uh, part of Gator history forever, for sure. And I think, you know, Trinity still has the rest of this season ahead of her and potentially a whole another season if she wants to stick around for her COVID year. So she has the potential to do even more than either of them were ever capable of. Ryan, Jesse, you guys have any other questions you'd like to ask before we let Caroline sign off? I think I have spoken a lot. So <laughs> I don't think I have anything in my head that it wouldn't just be repetitive. I also just want to say uh, Trinity was number one on ESPN sports center uh, on this Sunday, which was amazing, not just for Florida, but for the sport of gymnastics as a whole. And uh, pretty, pretty stoked to see uh, how, how this grows uh, not just Florida's visibility, but the visibility of the sport of gymnastics. Um, Road to Nationals, which is uh, the site where all of the meet data is tracked and rankings are generated each week uh, for teams and for individuals. They tweeted out uh, after the meet uh, about 9.30 that night. They said traffic on the site is up considerably this season, more than 30% so far, which is a good sign for NCAA gymnastics. Today will be the most visited day ever, which is remarkable this early on. We would wager other outlets are seeing a similar trend. Excited to see where this goes. I can't imagine a scenario in which that is not related to the fact that 
the first ever college gymnastics meet was on ABC. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, if you're a uh, Florida sports fan, if you're a Florida athletics fan, if you take pride in the uh, athletic programs at the University of Florida and you haven't gone down and checked out what these women are doing. Uh, what are you doing? Yeah, you're really missing out. It's really <laughs> exactly. a spectacle. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll be here every week to give you at least the outline of it. And then we'll have Caroline join us after the special meets and tell us more about it. So, Caroline, hey, thanks a lot for jump, jumping on the, the Gator Slant with us today. Absolutely. Um, Take a second and let everyone know where they can find your work and sure. uh, where they can find you on social media. So obviously I am the gymnastics correspondent for Chomp Talk. You can always find my gymnastics work there. Um, I've also uh, got a Twitter. You can find me at my cluttered desk on Twitter. There's two D's in there, I promise. And I will also be launching my own website soon, also themed after my Twitter handle, um, because if the sign of a cluttered desk is the sign of a cluttered mind, what is the sign of an empty desk? Uh, so you can hopefully find some more gymnastics related work there, as well as all of the other stuff that I do, uh, links to my podcast, Defining Disney, as well as another podcast I'm launching soon on Marvel, uh, hopefully the first week of March, fingers crossed. And, uh, yeah, got a lot of things in the works this year and hoping to uh, share that with y'all and with uh, the rest of the internet. Wait, before you take off. Uh-huh. Because you said the last thing, did you see the Moon Knight trailer? I did see the Moon Knight trailer. What did you think? I am very excited. I love okay. Oscar Isaac as an actor. I think that if he thinks they've done the dissociative identity disorder right, then I trust him. I agree. I am interested to see how it turns out. I think going very mystical and very dark could be very cool. I would also like to point out that since it starts on March 30th, uh, that will put it ending only two days before Multiverse of Madness, which is absolutely not a coincidence oh no it's not oh boy <laughs> oh that'll be good um yeah, that, that's, that's probably that might be the disney show i'm most excited for for this year announced, i agree like even even including last year i think what ever since i heard moon knight was announced i think that was the one that i've kind of had i'm to. a little biased because the scarlet witch is my favorite this is superhero, also true. so like wandavision was my most anticipated I, um I, I, from the big phase four dump. If, I, if i keep talking about this i'm gonna turn this into a marvel podcast and brian's <laughs> already mad so Good. i'll save this for another day so the Sorry, answer brian. is i just need to have you on my new show right please Done. Absolutely. I would, I, I would also Chris, like to take a part of this. Yeah, I, I, Jesse, Jesse and I both. Yes. Re Revel and I will give you guys a call. Perfect. All right, Caroline. Nate, thanks again, and make sure to tell Stephen thanks for letting us steal you away for a little bit tonight. We appreciate. Oh, that. he's playing D and D. He has no idea where I be right now. It's fine. <laughs> well, thanks again. All right. Good night, guys. Thanks. Thank you, Caroline. Yeah. You should, All right, guys, every, that was... you should do that every time we have a guest, guest, Jesse. That was wholesome. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, I like that. Nice, nice yeah, little that's, applause. That's good. It's a good way to segue into the, the next topic, right? Although before before we do that, I, I mean, there, there's a lot to take away from there. Uh, Ryan, what is something that st stood out to you that Caroline talked about there? I mean, I feel like you kind of have to take everything that was said about a quality night into like its own respective category because yeah. that was – far and away the most important and most impactful thing that was done uh not only for the audience in the gymnastics world as a whole but just for the team um and being able to 
use that platform for things they're passionate about beyond just gymnastics and for the greater good of the society uh, was pretty fantastic. Um, but putting that in a separate, uh, in a separate kind of little category of its own and focusing more solely on uh, the impact on gymnastics, I'm glad that I just, I'm just so glad that Florida got the show out on national television, I guess. I mean, I know that being behind it, uh, going into the final rotation is probably not ideal, but um, I can't, that's got to be like, if you told Trinity Thomas and Nia Reed when they showed up on campus, hey, you guys are going to become like best of friends and have back-to-back tens on national television. Like I, it would have sounded like a fever dream. So I, I, I can't even really single out one thing. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I, I will say, I think Ryan, you and Jesse, um, as students, I think all your fellow students, I think alumni, um, you should absolutely be proud of what you saw on display, uh, both from the university as a whole, um, you know, embracing the equality message, but also um, for the effort that was put out there. And then, you know, obviously we talked about the sellout crowd. That's not something that happens at other schools. That's not something that happens with other sports sometimes here. Uh, but when it does happen, it's a pretty special moment. And, you know, uh, a packed house got to see something really special the other night. And, uh, you know, there, there's not a lot that can top that really. So uh, obviously we spent more than 30 minutes talking about that in this episode. Um, so obviously it was a big deal, but Jesse, is there anything that uh, you'll take away from that conversation, man? I mean, yeah, just everything like I, I hate to be <laughs> repetitive, you know, but I, just like the, just the fact that everything was happening on national television with the equality night and, you know, just the fact that another team is trying to stand up for their own uh, side of equality. Uh, like l- l- like the soccer team was having their own protest like like during, during the anthem and whatnot, which I which I put a story out uh, last semester. And you know, it's it that's always just awesome to see that uh, teams aren't afraid to put their voices out there and make themselves heard, especially on a stage like on ABC and in front of ten thousand people at, at the Odom. That, that's humongous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, guys, not to change the vibe too much, but uh, let's let's move over to the other sports. We'll start with women's basketball. Women's basketball had a really good week. They went two and zero a week ago. I mentioned that um, you know, coming off of that top twenty five win. A win's great over a top 25 opponent, but if you don't beat the teams that you're supposed to beat, it doesn't matter. Well, Florida handled business this week. Uh, they pulled out a 68 to 63 win over Auburn uh, in midweek action. And then in the weekend on the weekend on Sunday, while gymnastics was going on, in fact, um, an 85 77 win at Alabama. Uh, again, these are two teams that they should have beaten. They did beat Jesse. Talk about it, man. Yeah, let's do it, man. Um, So, like you just mentioned, these these were, were two teams that Florida was supposed to be. They're pretty mid middle pack, like maybe at, at the bottom. Um, but Florida got the job done. I think that one of the main things we, that we should probably talk about is their star player, Lavender Briggs, leaving, and then also them still being being able to find this rhythm and being able to get on a on a three game win streak. Um, but just to see everyone everyone from top to bottom on the list, from Zippy Broaden to Alberte Rimdahl to uh to kiki smith i mean like, like usual just to see them all stepping up um and jordan Merritt, of course yeah and just to see them all stepping up i know i know it's, it was flip-flop between the two games and who was on and who was off but you know just to see other players on the roster stepping up when 
the absolute, you know, star player for women's basketball just like left for Maryland. I think that's huge. And I think that says a lot for this culture that's that's going on. I'm going to keep harping on this all season that that we need to keep a very close eye on this chemistry and this culture going on in that locker room, especially after that whole new Bauer thing. And I guess it seems to be working so far. Jesse, you're, you're hitting the head on the, 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 the nail on the head here, man. We entered this year with so many question marks about this team. Could the culture last? Was it good? Was it unhealthy? Obviously, it's not. Look, we don't know what happened with Lav Briggs that, that sent her over and and caused her to want to transfer. And, you know, 48 hours after transfer, after announcing she's transferring, she's going to marry whatever. Um, that's a side thing. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously the culture is healthy. Obviously the culture is good. And one thing that really stood out about this last couple of games was on Thursday, Nina Ricard scores 14 points. Alberta Rimdahl, 14 points. Zippy Broughton scores 16 at Alabama. Alberta Rimdahl with 17. Faith Dutt with 14. I mean, it's a different person every single night. We kept saying that Florida needs to find that go-to person behind Kiki Smith and Lab Briggs. Well, you know, maybe they don't. If on any given night somebody else can tote the rock and, and get it to the basket and put it in, who cares? Um, obviously, that they've got a lot of trust in each other. They talk about it after every single game that they believe in each other and they're showing it on the court. You've got to appreciate that. Um, one thing I think that is um, impressive about these two wins over the two games, Florida shot 33 for 40 from the free throw line, uh, basically doing the exact opposite of what the men's program is doing in that regard. Uh, yeah. But those, those free throws, I mean, they made 20 free throws in that 68, 63 win. You don't get to the charity stripe that much. You don't make that many. You lose that game, and you get routed at that. Yep. Um, you know, I what I what I see is incredible. I, I'm I'm impressed. The furthermore, they they score 85 points against Alabama. Kiki Smith scores eight, and yet they yes. score 85 points and they win like that. That's that's incredible. But Kiki Smith is not just your your scorer. She's the playmaker. She's the one that's coming down with a lot of rebounds. She had a good game in other ways. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, her leadership on the court is just something that I, I find incredible. I, I loved watching her uh, the last three or four years. And she's really taken advantage of this extra year due to the COVID thing. Um, Alberta Rimdahl was the SEC freshman of the week. And like I said, you know what? Even if Florida finishes the season right now, they've already won more games than they won last year. Even if they don't win another game this year, I've learned a lot about Kelly Ray Finley as a coach and about this team as a whole and about the future of this program, assuming that these players stay here. Um, the road gets more difficult coming up. Uh, you've got number 23, Kentucky, here in Gainesville on Thursday. Or, excuse me, in Kentucky on Thursday. And then uh, they're back here on Sunday against LSU, the number 11 team in the country. And it only gets more difficult with South Carolina and a few more uh you know, big games, even if they don't win any of those games, we can come out of this and say, wow, we've seen a lot from this team. We've seen the growth. And these were games that they weren't winning the last couple of years. And that's something that I'll take from this team, regardless of where it goes from here. I will say just to add to that, Brian, uh, there are eight Florida Gators on this women's basketball team. We've had a 15 point game this so far this season. And that's not including Faith, who's at a 14-point game, and Christina Moore, who's at a 12-point game. That's almost the entire roster. Yeah. Like, it, they're not always consistent. 
in terms of who's going to, but like when you have that many people who are capable of putting up 15 points in a night, you don't need it to be. No, I, I completely agree. Like Zibby Broughton scored 28 points against Texas A&M last week, and she's the fourth leading scorer on this team. Yeah, that, I mean, when you have when your fourth or fifth option can do that, you have a very deep lineup. Definitely, and I, I mean, like we said earlier, like earlier, like in the season for this podcast, we were like, "Who's going to be that number three? But I think, I think we found that three, four, five, six, seven. Like this, this team turns out to be a lot deeper than than we kind of thought, I guess. And then, um. And, and and like and like you said earlier, Brian Kiki Smith is is a great leader. I think she's been a great like number one person. Whether she doesn't have to put up you know ten points a, a game, but she can definitely play defense. She's great at getting those turnovers. She's great at making those steals. And like he's a great great on the glass. Um, just, there's just a great talent on this team. And and Kelly Ray, I think, is definitely using all all of her weapons to her advantage for sure. And I'm, I'm these next two games are going to be a humongous test. I think. I think we do have to humble ourselves a little bit with, with these last few games being that, that they were at middle of the pack SEC teams kind of bottom tier on like on like Ken Palm. But it you know, so maybe they might go 0-2 in these next couple of games. We might be like, all right, maybe last week we were wrong, but I guess we'll have to see. Well, one thing I, I hope to see, I I think it'd be unfair to assume that they're going to win a game uh, amongst these next three or four games even. But if they can be competitive – something that we didn't see a whole lot during the Cam Newbauer era, that would be a, a pretty strong indication of where this team is. Um, you know, one thing about it, it's a very young team. Now, I mean, we mentioned all these players that are in, I mean, Nina Ricard, she's a, a junior. Uh, Rimdahl is a freshman. Um, Faith Dude, I guess, is a junior. Anyway, it's a, it's a pretty young team. They've got a lot of talent that came through the last two years at Jordan Merritt's a sophomore. Uh, it'll be interesting to see as this team, assuming again, that they all stay together, you know, where they can be in a year or two from now, look, it, it's going to be tough navigating, but if they get it, like, I think they only need like two more wins to clinch an NIT berth. Um, that'd be pretty impressive. <laughs> so hopefully they can continue to build upon that. Hopefully they can continue to beat the teams that they're supposed to beat or teams that are, you know, their equals, and then maybe steal one or two or three or four here from some of these top 25 programs. Cause the SEC is loaded. It is a tough, tough league to rebuild in right now and to try to, to overhaul a roster. But we, we might've seen that as, as Kelly Ray Finley has been the, the recruiter for this program for a little while. So she knows these players, um, and you can kind of see by the way that she coaches them, that is the case. So um, those are just my thoughts on it. But uh, Jesse, one thing I, I will add is again, unlike the men's team, you know, when the men's team, it seems like if one shooter's off, all shooters are off. This team doesn't, it seems like it takes them a little bit to try to find who the shooter is or who's on. Uh, but once they do, we're good. And then you get faith dude with 14 points. <laughs> Um, yeah. so, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my thought on women's basketball. Like I said, I think, you know, when we're talking next week, it's going to be after most likely a couple of losses, but man, if they find a way to even split those, uh, that's, that's going to be a pretty impressive spot for this program. Um, guys, let's take a second. We've, we've alluded to it a lot. Let's talk about the men's basketball program. Ryan, we finally got in the win column there, huh? 
Uh, we finally did, but you know, funny that you mentioned that. You actually kind of brought up my main point that I wanted to bring up with that shooting. Um, <laughs> I will, I, I will give Florida credit where it's due. Uh, before I do anything else, um, they hung in tough with a very, very good LSU squad this year. Um, uh, what was it, home or away? Either way, they beat them in the second half and only lost by six points. That's a respectable loss. Uh, for how good LSU has been so far this season. Um, Kyle Castleton uh, putting up 19-9 with three blocks. Uh, Flan Fleming in his, uh, I guess, would that be like a bit of a redemption game? I think it was his first home game after the uh, after the Georgia video. Uh, puts up 11-4-3, or 11-4 with three personal fouls. I read the wrong category. Sorry, Flan. Um, uh, and then they got in the win column in the SEC. They beat South Carolina. Um Final score was 71-63. I don't know if it ever really felt that close uh, watching it. Uh, they were up 36-28 at halftime, and I don't really know if uh, I ever – I wouldn't say I never really questioned, but it felt like a pretty pretty solid performance all the way around, even though it was probably not the strongest South Carolina team ever. Um, but to still mention, um, between the two games, Brian – uh, actually, you know, I'll keep I'll keep praising a little bit first. Um, uh, Flan, Kawasi Reeves, and Colin Castleton all put up double digit points. Uh, Kawasi Reeves has really been kind of standing out recently uh, as a freshman. Um, he went four or six on the floor and four or five from the free throw line against South Carolina. Grabbed two rebounds, nailed, uh, grabbed two steals, um, fourteen points uh, for a freshman. He's like he's not getting a whole lot of playing time. Uh, I'm sure uh, there. are quite a few older guards on the team that I'm sure Mike White is kind of defaulting to as of right now. Uh, but for a freshman, um, averaging 3.8 points a game, 14 in his most recent one, uh, he's shooting 37% from the floor, 36% from three, uh, eight of 10 from the free throw line. Uh, it's a promising start to a career. I don't really, like, I'm not going to sit here and proclaim that he's on path to be a lottery pick right now, but uh, for his playing time, he could be doing a whole lot worse. I think he's been very efficient with the ball and shown a lot of promise. Um, Now to the bad uh, that I have been alluding to for a minute Uh, between the two games, Brian, actually, I want, I want you to guess this actually Um, between the two games. Let me just make sure I got the right stat up. This is Um, LSU and South Carolina. Between LSU and South Carolina, the two games that Florida played this week. Um, they shot, I believe, 53 three-pointers between the two games. Would you like to guess how many they made? Let's say 14. So out, of, out of 53, 15. Nope, 14 exactly. All right. <laughs> I did those recaps for us. It's okay. You did. Yeah, which <laughs> I Sorry, probably... man. <laughs> nope. Fair enough. I should have asked Jesse. Um <laughs> Jesse, out of those 53, how many do you think they made? Uh, 37. You know, Jesse, that was really close. I'm going to give you one more guess. I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, 38. That, and I mean, and even still, like I gave, I gave Florida credit for a six point loss to LSU, uh, which like is a like a single digit loss to a ranked team. Now I'm going to dunk on them. Uh, they went 11 to 22 from the free throw line in that game. Yep. Are you kidding me? Like against a ranked team, 
Like that's how you that's how you win. That you get to the line 22 times. That is at least 20 free points on a good night from the free throw line. And to punt that away in a game in a season where they really kind of need more of those wins. I don't know. It's just I wish the South Carolina loss gave me more hope than it did. Uh, and it's still a loss that uh, still a game that gets Florida in the win column. Uh, but they missed five of their 15 free throws, went seven to 22 from three. Um, and like, I just don't like there just wasn't, just wasn't a whole lot that like, it didn't really feel like I was watching a different team. Like they didn't feel rejuvenated. It just felt like South Carolina was worse than everyone they've been playing. Like, it felt like they were shooting the same from everywhere. Um, everything about the team, it, like, the only thing that felt different is who they were playing. Yeah. So, Florida beat South Carolina. They deserve credit for that. Flan Fleming's had a pretty impressive week. Kawasi Reeves had a really impressive game against South Carolina. Um, but I don't really know if that game really inspires confidence. Yeah, one thing about the free throw shooting against LSU, they had five attempts inside the last four minutes of the game. They missed four of those. They went four and um, eleven in the second half. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't have that kind of performance. And this, the problem is, it's not Kawasi Reeves that's missing these. These are your Brandon McKissicks. These are Myron Jones. These are the veterans who are supposed to stabilize things for you, and they're not doing that. Um, and so, that's one of the biggest problems I think with this roster right now. In that LSU game, Florida went eleven of twenty-two from the free throw line. Colin Castleton went five of six. Your big man made his. Everyone else on the team went six of 16. Like, I don't really know what you do in that instance. And you lose by six points to a ranked team at home. Yep. Like, that's the kind of win that you need. And you punted it away. Yep, quite literally from the free throw line. Uh, incredible. One thing that is uh, uh, something to look forward to, the schedule kind of lightens up. Well, I mean, it, it has to lighten up from what happened the first three three games here. Yeah, you they, um, played, they played an Auburn team that, for my money, might be the best team in college basketball right now. Yeah. Yeah, so I look, that you've got Mississippi State and Vanderbilt, then Ole Miss uh, before taking on a good Tennessee team. Um, all of those are very winnable games. Do I expect Florida to win all of them? Absolutely not. There, there is no reason to believe in this team right now. I don't care that they looked okay against South Carolina. Because here's the thing, Ryan, you you hit it on the head. I think when you said, I never doubted that you know that game, but when I look at the final score and it was only an eight point game, I'm like, wait a second, it felt like we were winning by twenty points in that game, and yet somehow it was a single digit score. <laughs> Um, so I just, I don't trust this team in any respect. Um, and, and it's going to take a little while to gain. This is a team that's 10 and six. I mean, a lot of people thought it would take time for this roster to gel, but 10 and six at this point, I don't think anybody assumed that it was going to be that bad. Mm-mm. I just, uh, it's like, you can say they're 10 and six all you want. They started six and oh, Yeah. Yeah, like, there you go. <laughs> like so, like what are the they're the Arizona Cardinals right now? Is that what they are? 
That I, also, I will never, I will never miss an opportunity to slander Cliff Kingsbury. That dude, that dude does not deserve an NFL head coaching job. But anywho, <laughs> um, all right, guys. Yeah, let's I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I wish, I wish that my takeaway of Florida's first SEC win was more positive than it is. But it just felt like they played a bad team. Yeah, they played a bad team, and it was was a kind of ugly game. So, hey, let's Actually, let's move. I Go do, ahead. I, I do have one more thing on this though. Because I talked to my roommate, Declan Walsh, about this the other day. He posed the question to me. Do you think Florida makes the NCAA tournament? And if I had to have a hot take, I don't know if they do. Right now. <sighs> They're probably like a bottom seed if they do. So here's my thing on this. Florida is going to play one of two games the rest of the year. Because they're kind of in no man's land in the SEC right now. There are the Tennessees, the LSUs, the Auburns, who are notably better than them. And then there's like the South Carolinas, the Vanderbilt, so they like should really kick. Um, if Florida doesn't beat any of like the top tier SEC teams and like drops another dumb game or two down the stretch, their entire resume comes from the fall. And I don't know how much like I don't think it's like a like the odds on favorite event to happen right now. But I don't think it's I don't think it's unfair right now to question whether they're playing basketball in March. No, I think there's a lot of people that right now would say that they're probably on the outside looking in that they need to do something. Uh, at a ten and six record, they're they're in. I, I think the last time I saw, they were on a they they were number forty nine in the net ratings. Um, that's not getting you in. Not one. You know, once bids get stolen and stuff, you're not getting in. But I think if this team does exactly what we're talking about the women's team doing, if they win every game that they're supposed to win, and if they steal one, two, or three games, and then maybe win a game or two in the SEC tournament, then you're talking about getting in. So Florida's 37th in Ken Palm right now. Yeah. Ken Palm takes a lot of time to adjust, and they were 14th after the Ohio State win. They've fallen 23 spots in less than a month in Ken Palm. And they're yep. current they're currently one spot above Arkansas, who I would not trust them to beat right now. Yeah, no, absolutely not. <laughs> this this could very well do you think this could this could this is a chance to be the worst Mike White team? Well, I think it's going to be. I, I would be surprised to see. I, I mean, it would take a miraculous uh, turnaround in order for that to not happen. Here's my question. All right, we'll we'll stick with this for for a minute. Do you think there's any chance Mike White gets fired after this year? Not after this year. I think yeah, there's a cha- I I think there if they close the season poorly, there's a chance he's on the hot seat next year. But I don't think this season within itself, with what the or with what the administration has said about him, unless he starts saying that he didn't know the band was present at away games, um, and say, uh, says he'll talk about recruiting season when it's recruiting season. Unless he starts doing stuff like that in press conferences, I don't think that Scott Strickland's going to about face on him in a year. Jesse, what do you think? Yeah, I was I was going to say he did just sign a contract extension, so I think it would be. Put it Mullen. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, okay, that, that's, <laughs> you know that's fair. You know what, no, but, okay, so Ryan, you're right. You pull that up, and that's part of why I think there's no chance he gets fired this year, unless he does something just outrageously stupid, which I don't think Mike White will do. But if yeah. he didn't. Out of the three coaches that got those extensions in June or that got announced in June, the Newbauer thing obviously fell right flat on his face. All right. He resigned. Well, Quote. regardless, 
Mullen got fired. There's no chance he's going to go over three here, right? <laughs> also, yeah, like I know Mike. I think Mike White was the last Foley hire, correct? He was yes. before Strickland. Um, but Strickland kind of put all his eggs in his basket and his multiple, like basically said Mike White's his coach, and he he's been the AD for almost the entirety of Mike White's tenure. If you think about it, firing Mike White means that within six months he'd admit he's basically zero for three. Yeah, exactly. Jesse, back to you. I'm sorry for interrupting you. First off, if you if you were Scott Strickland, would you fire Mike White after this year? Or what would it take no. for you to fire Mike White after this year? Hey, I think we're all pretty much on the same page here. Where like he would really have to like start just not caring about this team and just like start start giving bad answers to the media and just and like and not to mention I think that okay, let's put out this this weird hypothetical let's say between now and and the sec and big 12 challenge they lose all their games they go on for the mississippi state vandy Ole miss and tennessee and then maybe lose to oklahoma state i think i think that's where you start to get on the track where you really start start to question that but if i'm scott Strickland, i just signed the guy i don't want to go over three on my coaches of the big three sports, like especially, I guess you know, baseball, you can you can kind of take a win with that with like with, with Sully, but um, yeah. Other than that, no, I I don't think I would. I would definitely wait till next year. Jesse, put your fan cap on, okay? Okay. <laughs> so I don't want you to think of this as you know we would normally do for this, but I want you to put your fan cap on. And okay. at what point do you, as a fan, say no? Mike White's got to go, or have you already reached that point? If they don't make the I, tournament, are you like, yeah, we've got one more year with Mike? <laughs> I was on the fence when he signed the contract extension, so <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like that's kind of hard to answer that question because I like if I if I'm gonna put my fan cap on like you want me to, I'm gonna be like, nah, he's he's doing all right. We make the tournament every year. We we make it to, to the second or third round, but even at that point, if if, if I'm gonna speak from a full fan perspective, like orange and blue glasses, uh, I think I would have fired him like two years ago like a year ago maybe i will tell you what can i, can I just say this i like on, on my twitter i had this one follower that whenever i mentioned the name mike white he 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 goes in, into my thread and just like hashtag mid-major mike and puts up his website and it's like <laughs> and i'm and i'm just like i'm just like is, wow, is this that guy, you ryan <laughs> no it's not. ryan's burner account no, it's not. <laughs> but uh, I, no, I, I can't promise but i don't think it's me <laughs> no, it's, I swear every single time. And if he listens to the podcast, then great. I, I really hope he hears this, but I doubt it. <laughs> um, but like, no, every single time, like he he hates Mike Way. Like he he feel like he should have never been hired. So I, I mean, if you that... follow Twitter specifically, the fan base, especially during games, they get angry. Uh, there's yeah. there's vitriol for this man, and you know I. I Look, I, I see the same things that we see every single week and night in, night out. It's the same issues that we've seen for the last seven years, uh, which is the infuriating part. But, I mean, I just I don't know that he's done anything to get fired yet. Um, look, they said, hey, you got to beat Florida State this year. He beat Florida State. <laughs> what so we should have said was beat Florida State and still get to the second round of the tournament. <laughs> so, Mike White, I feel like eventually you kind of have to take a little bit of like a franchise quarterback approach to this from the NFL of like at some point like you're right. Mike hasn't done anything to deserve getting fired. No, and if I were the athletic director, I probably would not have fired him either as of this point. 
But you're right. He's been making the same mistakes in my eyes since he got hired in terms of like in-game management with lineups and who he's bringing into the program. At some point, you don't like that's not like a thing that gets fixed. At some point, that's just who Mike White is as a coach. And it's like, okay, he hasn't done anything to deserve getting fired. Are you going to like like but at some point eventually got to be like, look, you're never going to get better. And is that going to like you kind of have to look inward and be like, okay, how much do we believe that Mike White is ever going to surpass what he's currently done? Because like there are like to use the franchise quarterback example, there are plenty of times where a team will have a quarterback for the entirety of their rookie deal, and they'll be like, "Oh, like, like he's been fine. Like we win games, we're on the fringe of playoff contention. Like we should give him money. We don't. He doesn't deserve to be let go. And it's like, yeah, but you have you've built the roster for him to win, and he hasn't won yet. He probably. You know. It's like you know. Yeah, it's Baker Mayfield. That's the comp that I'm thinking of. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I hate that because I love Baker a lot, and I do think he got a bad rap with some bad offensive scheming and playing through injuries this year when he should have been sat. But at some point, you got to look inward and be like, "We built the team for this guy to like. We've like paid for this guy to win, and he's not winning, and it's been seven years." Hey, uh, like, hey, Ryan. You know, you know the comparison that I was making in my head mm-hmm. is Carson Wentz. Like, mm. yeah. I, I think he's getting uh, there. Car- he's Car- getting Carson, there. Carson deserved to be traded after All right. It's like, yeah, he won some like... games. But like, guys, we'll, we'll we'll talk NFL here in a few minutes. Let's <laughs> let's move on real quick. Yeah. I, we're we're running into overtime today. Um, guys, baseball was ranked number nine according to the D1Baseball.com poll. Ryan, does that feel about right to you? Um, it's top ten. So yeah, I mean. Death taxes in Florida baseball being a top fifteen program, like, uh, so I mean, I think that's uh, that's a, probably a bit higher than I would have rated them after how they performed over the entirety of last season, and in full like critic mode, how they performed over the last two full seasons. If you toss out, if you toss out twenty twenty, and just scrape that as way as a non conference schedule and Miami being overrated. I really wonder if this team is like fifteenth instead of ninth. Yeah, but well, I mean, you you wonder what next what, what what last year the all the accolades that they got coming into last year were built on a really weak home schedule, <laughs> um, and then Miami. Uh, but I mean, I've I've long had contentions about that. Um, I will say uh, maybe you, you, we can call it a hot take or whatever, but we're gonna you know talk more about it in another episode. Um, I think it's way too high. I think this team has proved absolutely nothing. I think they've got one surefire starter and then a whole lot of question marks in the lineup. Um, But you know what? They've got to go out there. They've got to prove it. They've got a very talented roster. Um, But yeah, number nine, I think is way too high. I don't know that I would have them in the top 25 based on what we've seen from the guys that are uh, coming that are on campus for the Gator baseball team right now. Mm-mm. No, I agree. <laughs> Jesse, I mean, uh, go ahead. It's clearly it's clearly a lot of respect to Sully, I think. No, absolutely. And and, of, and you know what? And who am I? To, and I'm not trying to say that, uh, you know, I know more than Sully or anything like that. I think Sully's a, a great baseball coach. I'm glad he's at UF. Uh, and, and he sure does put up a, a team that's going to be good enough and fun to cover. So um, Jesse, D1 Softball also released their top 25 today. Florida Softball checks in at number five. Does it sound about right to you? 
I mean, yeah, I would definitely put softball top ten. I mean, I thought they had a pretty good postseason last year, and they, they always ha- had had the potential to kind of to kind of take off every season. So why not? Why not? Yeah, I uh, I do not yeah. I do not have the same hot take for <laughs> softball. This softball program, man. Even you know, I thought when they lost Kelly Barnhill and uh, Amanda Lorenz that you know the next year was going to be rough because they didn't seem to have anybody that could replace them. They were still a top five team pretty much all year. Um, I, I, I don't know that Tim Walton's team rebuilds, uh, they just reload and they've got a bunch of transfers that are going to make impacts this time. Uh, I'm really excited to cover that team and, uh, and to see what they do this year. But I absolutely agree that they are a top five team. Five may even seem a little bit low to me. Um, Ryan, any, any thoughts on softball real quick? Uh, rinse and repeat what everything I said about Kevin Sullivan, but with now with Tim Walton. Yeah, right. Uh, maybe good, good answer. So. so yeah, I think <laughs> it, 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 it's pretty cut and dry on both of their ends. Absolutely, um, Ryan. I know you, you uh, wanted to bring up some uh, Gator football talk. Yeah. So um, shout out to a uh, a good Twitter follow uh, from I suppose he's now with On Three uh, Donovan Kaiser, who said that uh, Florida football has been described as a sleeping giant before. And uh, it might not be awake, but I think it is slowly stirring early in the Billy Napier era. Um, so Billy Napier was introduced as Florida's head coach pretty much exactly a month ago, right? It's January 18th. He was announced, I think, December 15th, if I have the day correctly. Um, mm, but like sometime in somewhere around there. he had his introductory press conference and took over yeah. on, December, on December 14th or 15th, I believe. Uh, without looking off the top of my head. So it's been just about a month. In that time, he landed a fi- not only a five-star, but a five-star from IMG, which reopens a relationship with but one of the best high schools in the nation living in your own backyard. Um, he's crawled Florida's recruiting class from 69th up to 35th, according to uh, 247's composite ratings. Uh, he managed to flip a four-star linebacker from Bama and a four-star safety from Notre Dame. Uh, and if you look at the, he managed to lure a th- four-star running back who's like from Clemson, like he meant not just a four-star running back. He managed to flip an ETN brother from Dabo Sweeney, like a legacy Clemson tiger chose Florida. Um, and not to mention, if you look at the people he's bringing with him from Louisiana, Osiris Torrance, who's now a four-star prospect. Uh, and also th- this goes to show his talent development too at Louisiana and his ability to like analyze and, like bring in good players too from people who might not be rated as highly. Osiris Torrance was a mid three-star offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman coming out of high school. He's now a high four-star interior offensive lineman in the transfer portal. He's coming to Florida immediately eligible. Uh, Montrell Johnson was a uh, upper mid three-star running back coming out of high school. Uh, He won conference player of the year in the Sun Belt or conference, maybe conference freshman of the year. Was a conference freshman or player of the year? For Montreal Johnson. I think it was might have been freshman. Uh, as a running freshman, back. Yeah. yeah, conference freshman of the year. Um, sorry, a little bullish on Montreal, I guess. Um, but now he's a four star uh transfer product, uh coming to Florida immediately eligible. Uh Cameron Rate Waits, offensive tackle, wasn't even ranked in high school. He's now a four star. He's coming to Florida immediately eligible. And Jalen Kimber, uh a four star uh, a four star cornerback prospect from Georgia. So that's a lot of stars that are coming in through a lot of different angles. And Billy Napier said that this is probably going to be the year that he's got to kind of patchwork this class and figure it out with the transfer portal rather than trying to 
butt heads with Saban and Kirby Smart over guys that have had much longer relationships than he has. Um, but like doing what he's done with this class in a month is probably more impressive than anything Dan Mullen ever did in recruiting, and it's been four weeks. So I can't. I don't know how Billy Napier sleeps. Um, but it's been it's been kind of a it's been a bit crazy to see positive recruiting news come out of Florida over the last month. And for it to start happening this quickly, I mean, obviously, who knows how these guys are going to play out, and you can't just project the guys are going to be good based on stars, but, like, this is really promising. Yeah, Ryan, one thing that uh, 24-7 does, they also have a recruiting ranking uh, that includes the transfer portal and the high school kids, and Florida's actually 14th in that regard. Uh, So they moved up from dead last in the SEC behind Vanderbilt, uh, to now the sixth sixth ranked program in the SEC, um, just just barely behind Missouri and LSU. Um, that's pretty impressive. That's a heck of a jump. That's a, an incredible leap, really. Um, and it doesn't seem like they're done yet. But Ryan, nope. talk about where this, where yeah. Mullen, not Mullen, excuse me, where Napier and his staff are are so, focusing on. So I wrote an article for the Independent Florida Alligator when Billy Napier was announced saying, who is Billy Napier? What's his approach? How did he play offense? And uh, Billy Napier loved to run the football, and he loved to play smash mouth football. I believe the quote that was uh, thrown around during his introductory press conference was, we're going to run the ball a lot, we're going to play really quickly, and we're going to get out of here. Is uh, To be paraphrased, is pretty much how he wants to play football. Running backs, or um, offensive line, defense, that's the Billy Napier philosophy. Uh, very old school, kind of like mid two mid twenty tens Alabama kind of feel. Um, so the prospects he signed: five star safety, four star defensive lineman, four star defensive lineman, all enrolled. Uh, four star linebacker, four star offensive tackle slash tight end slash Tony Livingston is kind of Godzilla. Um, uh, a four star defensive lineman, all let, signed a letter of intent on top of a three-star offensive tackle, three-star interior offensive lineman, and a three-star kicker. Shout out Trace Mack. Um, he's got a, a running back and a running back, an athlete, uh, and Miguel Mitchell. Who uh, is Miguel Mitchell? Kind of a corner. I feel like I've seen a bunch of different positions floated around for him. I feel like yeah, he was well. He was listed initially as a safety, but they've been kind of saying that he's an athlete. Which is good because I really did question bringing another safety in, especially with Jacoby Matthews visiting last week. Mm-hmm. Or Jacoby Matthews is another one to keep an eye on too. If you yep. get Jacoby Matthews and Kamari Wilson in the same recruiting class, oh, the, Cor- and then, the Corey Raymond effect is real. Absolutely, and then man, if you bring in Harold Perkins, holy crap, man! I mean, and you're J- gonna jump way up there. And Jalen Kimber. And Kimber, yeah. And dude, I'm big on the Kimber move. I love having Jalen Kimber come uh, from Georgia. That was a guy who was competing and probably was going to win the the CB2 job at Georgia this year before an injury. Um, I, I'm ecstatic to have that guy here. I think he's going to be a big impact uh, as long as he can stay on the field. So Florida has uh, 17. According to this, I'm, I'm discounting Tyron Truesdale because he was a grad transfer who played this year. They list him as this year. He's not really this year. 17 uh, either transfers, hard commits, or like signed in uh, players in this class. They have one quarterback and no receivers. They have a lot of defensive linemen, a, lot, a few linebackers, a lot of defensive backs, a, a few running backs, and a lot of offensive linemen. There is a direction this team is going. As of right now, I mean, maybe part of that is just because the like the 
that Billy hasn't gotten around to the wide receivers quite yet or uh, hasn't managed to convince any of them to stay home with him. But um, Billy has a vision, and Billy's going to do that vision. If you were waiting to see what Billy like what Billy wanted to do with this team, um, you got your answer. Also, and granted, to, this, to his point, I also think Florida's got a pretty cool staple of wide receivers sticking around, especially with uh, Shorter hanging around for another year. Um, I don't really dislike the receiving core of – Shorter, Xavier Henderson, and Trent Whittemore being the top three guys. Um, but even still, like there's very clearly a direction that it feels like this recruiting class is heading in, and it's the it's the type of team that wins in the SEC. Yeah, I, I completely agree. If you win the trenches, you can win football games. And we saw that at Arkansas from a team that we expected to win maybe one or two games at most. Uh, and they were they were there competing until the very end. And you like to see that. Uh, if you have if you yeah, can dominate Sam the Pittman's trenches, awesome. Sam Pittman's awesome. Uh, Sam Pittman's awesome. I, I can't disagree with that. Guys, let's uh move into uh the maybe the big big news of the weekend for for the three of us anyway that you know, nobody oh. else is gonna care about. Most people are probably tuning out here. Um if you've made it 72 minutes into the show, thank you. Hey, thank yes. you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are one and done in the NFL playoffs. Um, Ryan, what is your big takeaway? <laughs> oh, that sounds just like Philly. I've been to games, guys. <laughs> um, or thank Dallas. You. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, right. Ryan, what is uh, a big uh, takeaway or hot break? <laughs> um, I think two things lost Philadelphia the game. Um, Tom Brady. <laughs> well, he kind of ties into the second thing, but you can kind of add him in as a third thing, I guess. Um, uh, but two things. Um, one, as a lot of people on Twitter and one of the three of us who will not be named right now um, pointed Uh-oh. out, Jalen Hurts. There were not many opportunities, but there were three throws that if Jalen makes them differently, that game is entirely different. Um, and he deserves to be held accountable for that. Even as someone who does think that Jalen Hurts deserves to be around in Philadelphia for at least one more season based on what he's done this season uh, and the growth and connection he seems to have with Sirianni, he deserves to be held accountable for that. And there was a wide open touchdown. He just straight up didn't see Dallas Goddard on. Uh, he didn't make, even though it was a hard ask with him running to his left, he didn't make that throw to Smith in time and didn't have the arm power to beat that collapsing linebacker on that one interception. Um, and yeah, like there were just, there weren't many opportunities because of how good that Tampa defense and how good Todd Bowles, like how good those things are. But they had two or three shots to make this game much, much closer than it was. And Jalen didn't deliver in those moments and deserves to be held accountable for that. More importantly for me, I thought both game plans were shit to come out of the game. Um, not only on offense, the offense was unimaginative to start the game. Um, Tampa Bay has the fastest two linebackers in coverage that I have ever watched play football together on the same field at the same time in Devin White and Levante David. And Nick Sirianni was like, let's try and beat him to the edge. And you know what? It didn't work. Um, second of all, um, Tom Brady, even as someone who uh, usually winds up arguing against Tom Brady rather than for just based on consensus opinion with him, unequivocally, Tom Brady is the best quarterback ever 
at figuring out what you are doing pre-snap and figuring out who's going to be open in the immediate three seconds after he snaps the ball. And Jonathan Gannon's solution with that was to play a soft zone coverage without disguising it. You are just asking Tom Brady to walk up the field if you are not going to disguise your coverage and you're going to play zone. Ryan, I think you you were the one that texted our little group chat and said, hey, is this Todd Grantham? <laughs> yeah, it's what it felt like. We were playing 10, we were like on like third and nine in the red zone. Like we were like 12 yards off the ball and Mike Evans just runs a slant and gets the first down. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'll put it this way. I would be so heartbroken if Jonathan Gannon gets a head coaching job this offseason. Please, <laughs> any NFL teams, do not take him from our franchise. Somehow, He's so good. Somehow he has got three interviews as a head coach in the NFL. Somebody thinks highly of him, and I'm not sure if they're just not watching the same thing we are. I, um, I, re- I really, really hope Houston hires him. That'd be fucking yeah. hilarious. Uh, it really – oh, my God. Um, Jesse uh, – Initial thoughts, hot takes, whatever you want. Your, oh. is yours. Okay, let me just vent. Um, gosh. Okay, so I went to Tampa on Sunday, and I was in the Sorry, I, I was uh, I was in the game. Um, and you know I was texting Ryan that that whole morning because I was just so confident for some reason that the Eagles were going to win that day, and I, I I wasn't going to let anything else tell me otherwise. The Eagles were going to somehow win by three, a touchdown, one point. I don't know. But they were going to walk out of Raymond James with that win. Um, so with that confidence, I watched, I waltzed my ass to, to my seat. Um, and I sat down. And right just from the very first drive, it just, it, it was, it was just downhill. And I'll tell you what, after the first Bucks touchdown, I was like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be one of those days. Uh, and I, I, I just felt it. I wish I didn't feel it in the first quarter, but I was just like, man, maybe I shouldn't have come to this game. Uh, something tells me I shouldn't have spent this, this, this hundred bucks, but regardless, wait a uh, second, wait a what? second, hundred dollars. Yeah. That, I will make a whole separate point about this. Um, I was that's how my, he got the, that's how he went. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, so when I first checked Last I almost Monday. spent $250. So <laughs> that's what I was about to say. I, I, I checked last week about, about seven days ago. Uh, um, I was like, Oh, let me, let me look at the Eagles tickets. Maybe, maybe they're up by now. And they were like 250 bucks. I was like, no, I'm good. And then a couple days later, I checked them again and they dropped down a little bit to 175. And I was like, interesting. Okay. And so I waited on Saturday and they were at like 125 for like the nosebleed and like 150 for my seat, which is like in the middle, but still upper deck. And now on the day of, they shot down to 100 bucks. So like, if, if you kept looking, like you you probably would would have found one, like for sure. Um, it would have been the best seat, but it, and it, it was supposed to rain, but it didn't. It was just a little bit cloudy. Well, part of my issue is the weather was coming in. I had family in town. I was like, you know what? It'd be really rude for me to go down to that game. Um, <laughs> and you know, Which the way that it played out, it. I was very glad I didn't go. No. <laughs> I will a- say, yeah, Jesse and I both had confidence going into that game, which I can absolutely promise had nothing to do with the contents of our bloodstream the night before. Um, but <laughs> nothing, nothing. No, not, not at all. Um, but yeah, I, ah, God, it it sucks too. Cause that was the perfect storm for us to like, if we were ever going to beat Tampa, 
They had injuries on their defense. Their two of their starting offensive linemen got hurt early. It was super windy, and they were pass heavy, and we were run heavy. If there was a recipe to beat Tampa, that was it. I thought Sirianni and Gannon. I think Sirianni outthought his game plan, and Gannon un, or Gannon underthought his game plan. Um, and J- when even outside of that, there were a few throws that Jalen Hurts could have made that could have overcome that and didn't make them. Yeah, I was so here's my uh, my quick. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time because people are probably already bored with this. But um, <laughs> we've been hearing all year uh, from national media, from Philadelphia media, uh, that Jalen Hurts has just this unwavering composure, and it's probably because he's had experience playing in these, you know, the BCS title game, in conference championship games, and he, he's played in these big games, and this is what he lives for. Jalen Hurts looked scared out there. Uh, he looked like he was running for his life and had no idea what he was doing. Um, it was frustrating to watch. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I don't necessarily blame it. I, I don't think it was a great game plan, but I also saw a quarterback that had several options that were open. Um, and I, will say, I was super frustrated by Jalen Hurts. I will say, and this isn't like this argument's going to sound unproductive when I first say it. That wasn't a playoffs problem with Jalen. That's been a season long problem is that he abandons the pocket really quickly and doesn't let plays develop, which to his credit, during the regular season, he slowly got better and better at. Right. One thing worse Sunday, but that wasn't like a, like, oh, the moment got too big for Jalen. He ran from the pocket early. That's kind of what he's been battling all year. One of my biggest things coming into this game, uh, and and part of the reason that I probably wasn't as confident as you guys were, uh, <laughs> or as liquored up, maybe. Um, one of the things that was bothering me was that you know this Eagles team, led by Jalen Hurts, over the last seven weeks has started out super slow on offense, and that could not happen against this team. Um, the only two times that they've had fast starts over that last eight week stretch was when Jalen Hurts was not the starting quarterback. I won't say the name of the guy who was, it's okay. Um, (laughs) um, And and I thought that that was going to be a problem. And I thought that this Tampa Bay defense is much better um, than anything that the Eagles had played well against this year. And it wasn't a team that, you know, once you sat in on the second half, it was going to get better. It was only going to get worse before uh, Tampa started to call the dogs off in the fourth quarter there. I do. (sighs) I feel like Sirianni's like the anti-Andy Reid. Like Andy Reid for years has always been the guy who's like, yo, when he's on script, he's phenomenal. But you get him late in the game if he doesn't have Pat Mahomes and he's calling plays like on a whim, occasionally the offense gets really slow. That was the big thing against him and all the Alex Smith years in Kansas City. Nick Sirianni feels like he overthinks his game plan to start games and kind of tries to do stuff. He's like, oh, they're not going to expect this, or let's try this and see if it gets to them. And then it doesn't work. And you get, like, midway through the second quarter, and he's like, all right, fuck it, we're just going to run. And, like, that's when everything just goes well. So I feel like Nick Sirianni's, like, a really – I think he's a better natural play caller than he is a scripter. Um, So I kind of want him to just kind of go with that next year. Um, Granted, that also could just be that defenses get tired, and so Philly becomes more effective. Um, I think Sirianni has grown as a play caller so far this season, maybe more so than anyone has on the entire, like in the entire organization. I do think his like start of game scripts are one of his weak points. I will say I, uh, I wasn't a huge fan of Nick Sirianni getting hired, but I actually liked what I saw from him this year. And, uh, you know, I will say this, I, I hated the game plan against Tampa. One thing that bothered me as you're watching Tom Brady go down the field and they're doing these, 
eight yard passes, these slants here, in routes here, out routes there, you know, quick, easy passes. Tom Brady's not taking three steps. Nope. And I'm like, Hey, if we do something like that, you know, in those little intermediate routes, you might get something there. If you're going to throw the ball and obviously you weren't running the ball, if you're going to throw the ball, that should have been the play. And, um, you know, I also go ahead. I would say, you know what the bigger issue in that is, is, uh, Todd Bowles is good. And so Todd Bowles, like disguises coverages and has really, really athletic, fast linebackers just hanging around in coverage, six yards off the line of scrimmage. So Tampa's kind of one of the few teams that you just can't think you're done your way up the field because you got to beat Devin White and Levante David to do it. Um, I do think that there is a much, you know, you know what the plan should have been. If we're going to do quick passes, quick passes and get the ball in Devonta Smith's hands. Yeah. You trade it up for him. Give him the ball. Well, going from one draft pick to another, my my second and last thing I really want to bring up is I never want to see Jalen Rager on the field again. Oh. You know, it was bad <laughs> enough again. when he muffed the punt and gave them possession. And I, I really think that that, that you know, that changed the tide, I think. I, I think that killed any chance of a comeback. Um, I agree. I actually, then, I actually don't think the game was out of reach until that. Point. I don't either. Yep. But then to put him back there again, I don't care if you put Darius freaking Slay back there to, to call fair catch, okay? There's no reason he should have been back there again, and he muffed another one and got tra- tackled down to the five-yard line. It's unacceptable. That wasn't, that wasn't even the big, the first mistake he made. in the To end the second half, Nick Sirianni called a timeout with 37 seconds left if Tampa failed to convert a third down to make Tampa punt the ball back to Philly before the yep. end of the half. And Jalen Rager, instead of calling a fair catch, moved and let the ball roll and wasted like seven seconds. And so Nick Sirianni just ran a halfback draw and ran to the locker room. Because instead of having 25 seconds in a timeout, he now had 16 seconds in a timeout and he was 15 yards further back. Yeah. I mean, and this guy. Jalen Rager just didn't. It's just uh, PFF. Um, uh, Sam Monson from PFF tweeted Jalen Rager's life mission right now must be to just prove how much worse he is than Justin Jefferson. Oh man, that that yeah. Anyway, I look. I was I, one of those I do on draft day. I could not believe that that was the name that was said. I was pumped. I was ecstatic to hear Justin Jefferson, and then Dude, they said st- Jalen Rager. Still, and I was like, who the hell is he? <laughs> I still remember draft day because Philly got the pick in. And I think the second Minnesota found out it wasn't Jefferson, they, they raced up Jefferson. to the <laughs> no. But so they cut, they were like, Philly's pick is in, and they cut to Jefferson, and he was on the phone. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, we got our boy. Um, I do, I want to say for most of the season, uh, after a game like that, I'm a little bit less sympathetic. Um, but for most of the season, I have kind of felt bad for Rager. He's actually like, he's been bad. Um, he also gets booed every time he makes a catch, which like, I get booing Jalen Rager when he does dumb stuff, but like when it's third and eight and he catches a 10 yard slant and Philly still boos him. Now it's like, okay, like, come on now. Now it's, now it's just personal. And Ryan, I agree sucks. with you. I, I don't blame um, Jalen Rager for sucking as much as I blame Howie Roseman for drafting him. <laughs> I agree. And, uh, and, 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 and you know, I think he's a victim of, there. well, he's a victim of being that first round pick. And, and I'm sure it's probably coming down from Howie that, Hey, he's your guy. We're sticking with him. And my guess is, and I hate to say this, I think he's going to be back next year. I think he's going to start next year. <laughs> anyway, uh, guys, move him to slot. So like Aguilar in 17. He'll reinvent himself. We'll see <laughs> guys. We, um, we had a little bit to celebrate come Sunday night though. Uh, you know, it was only, it was a minor victory and you know, it was funny. No, so it I, I, well, this, this is fun for me because my girlfriend is actually a Cowboys fan. 
Mm. So we're watching this game and, and I'm like the whole time I'm like, yeah, you guys suck too. You know, we're going out the same day, blah, blah, blah. It's good. Then the Cowboys get the ball back and they start moving the ball downfield. And I'm like, oh my God, tell me they're not going to win. I will never, ever hear the end of this. And I'm already done. Like I, I'm thinking like, yeah, we got to break up. Uh, this is it. <laughs> this is how this relationship ends. Um, but then this crazy thing happens with 14 seconds left. Mike McCarthy draws up a play where Dak runs for like 30 yards up the Kellen middle Moore. from his own 40 yard line. Yeah, Kellen Moore, who's Mike being McCarthy interviewed approved by, of by as for a head coaching job, but Anyway, they draw this, and he runs for 30 yards. He takes up seven seconds before he gets down. There's seven seconds left on the clock. The Cowboys, like freaking morons, line up, and the lineman can't get through to touch the ball because by rule, he has to touch that ball, and time runs out. It was the most glorious ending to a football game I have ever seen. And, you know, I was hoping that the Cowboys would get blown out. I wanted them to lose by 100. That was better, but that that the way that that ended was way better. <laughs> the memes wrote themselves. I, in fact, I'm, I'm looking at one right now. Uh, you guys are you familiar with Impractical Jokers? Uh, yes. So it's got it's go. got the Jokers up there, and and, and one of the guys is like, "Hey, Dak, run it up the middle with 14 seconds left and no timeouts, and run the clock out to end the Cowboys season." And then it shows them laugh. It's hilarious. I love it. Um, I, I love, I, th- I believe it was the Dallas morning news that had the headline the next morning that said Dak and Cowboys slide out of the playoffs or slide into the off season. I was like, yes, that's first off creative headline win to those guys. Right. <laughs> but I, you know what, that, that made my night and it made it a lot more tolerable that the Eagles aren't still in it because the Cowboys aren't either in a way that the Cowboys went out. I forgot the Eagles lost. <laughs> I feel much better. Yeah, I would say I think um, the blame ladder for that play goes Kellen more than Mike McCarthy than Dak Prescott. Um, I'm sorry if you're Dak sorry. Prescott, you've got to go down sooner than seven seconds, right? You, I know you gained you thirty do. yards, but holy crap, the intelligence level has to be there, right? You you do. I also want to counter that Dak should never have been put in that position because Kellen Moore never should have called that play, which is why I think he's third on the blame ladder, but he's not blameless because he should have gone down earlier. Um, But I will say for someone who, despite being the Cowboys quarterback, I have been thoroughly impressed with Dak Prescott off the field every single second of his career. Uh, I think he's, I think he's a great guy. um, And I really find myself rooting for him as a person. His post-game press conference was embarrassing. And you know what? He should have faced a heavy fine for that. Um, and also, like, like in Dallas fans being like, oh, but, like, the ref ran too slow. That, like, you know what? I actually counterpoint. The only situation that would have been funnier than that is if Dallas actually did snap the ball before the line judge got there and it was an illegal play and they ended the game like that. <laughs> that would be the only was, funnier situation. Either way, I was extremely happy about it. Hey, Ryan, I do want to give you a chance for anybody that didn't see it. What is what are you talking about with um Dak Prescott and what he said okay. in the post game? So Dak Prescott after the game um uh was uh said that he was on uh, upset and frustrated with fans who were apparently throwing things at Cowboys players as they were walking off the field. And uh, one of the reporters said, no, oh, no, Dak, they were throwing stuff at the refs. And he goes, oh, credit to them then. Yeah, that's, I mean. And then when offered a chance to clarify that statement, he instead doubled down and said he felt he was glad the fans were just as frustrated as Dallas was. 
Um, now he has come out about an hour ago and apologized for those comments. Just to be he clear. has, he has, and I like credit where credits due for that. He uh, showed responsibility for his actions, baseline human emotion. Um, but it was, I think that was a shocking thing for me because I felt like Dak has been sh- so mature and thoughtful in pretty much every other issue he's ever had at Dallas quarterback, at least under the microphone. So for him to basically stand up there and be a petulant child about that call was kind of flooring to me. Like that was more surprising than the call was just how immaturely Dak handled it. Well, I mean, it kind of, it was like he was trying to absolve blame from him for that, that ridiculous play call. Which you is know, I, weird because he's typically been very, like he's typically held himself very accountable right. in his own words. It was very weird that he looked, he projected outward rather than, anything else in that moment i do think there's a little bit of i think dak is getting to the point where he and that cowboys organization are feeling pressure uh about their playoff record they've had under that administration of players uh and i think coming that close to a playoff game and having it end so ridiculously must have frustrated the hell out of him uh that does not excuse his response i'm just trying to think of the only reason that he would have been so out of character in that moment yeah, so, hey, guys, uh, before we sign off, I do want to ask you, Jesse, we'll ask you first, who you got winning the Super Bowl out of who's left? You know, <clears throat> uh, I'm just going to do this because my father is from Cincinnati, Ohio. So, oh, man. Yeah, so go Bengals. Why not? Um, just take uh, – because they're the only other team I don't really have a beef with in the in the playoffs. So, you know. Why, why not do that? I don't want to trip for the Bucks or the Rams. So, <laughs> all right, Ryan, who you got? Uh, I think I picked the Chiefs on here last week, and I'm gonna stick with that. Um, I'm I'm a Mahomes guy. I love Big Red, and I hope he gets another slice of that chocolate cake that he's been he's been cheering for. Yeah, um, I love Andy Reid. I want him to do well, but I think that this is the Bucks, uh, not the Bucks. Excuse me, the um, Bills ooh. here. Okay, um, that that was gonna be my hot take. I think the winner of Bills Chiefs is the winner of the Super Bowl. Well, I, I think the Bills, I, I think this is their year. I think they've got an offense that's just absolutely lethal. And uh, even though they had kind of a weird year, I think that they're going to be the best team in the AFC when all things are said and done. And I think they're going to hoist that trophy. Uh, and honestly, it's well-deserved for that team that's been around forever and has been so close, but so far, it seems like. I'd be I'd be happy to see the Bills franchise finally take over and get through that. Um, I would, I guess, the only addendum... Uh, that I would probably add to that. Um, I just have a hard time betting on a team that lost to Jacksonville under Urban Meyer um, at any point this season. What a story um, it's going to be. <laughs> oh, Urban beat the Super Bowl champ. Exactly. How did he get you know gonna, what? That's that's going to be the 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 calm for the uh, the the call for the Jaguars fans, and that's that's how they're going to bring out season ticket holders and be like, hey. We beat the Super Bowl champs. <laughs> um, my only, I, I, this is a really dumb take, and I have lots of those, so I'm used to them. <laughs> um, my only hold up with Buffalo is like they emptied, like that was that looked like an emotional beatdown in New England. I think that team took out 50 years of frustration on the Patriots in that game. Um, I wonder how I wonder how much of that playbook they have left. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I don't, I don't yeah, know if, if, like, if Josh Allen plays 80 percent that good, they're going to be a problem. Yeah, and and Josh Allen's very capable, so we'll see what happens. But um, guys, any final thoughts before we sign off for good for the night? Um, I already mentioned Moon Knight when Caroline was here, so <laughs> not particularly. Um, Jesse, okay, yeah, shout out 
to Gators men's tennis. <clears throat> uh, they are one and one. Uh, they lost to Texas Christian on, I believe, Friday, but then they beat uh, Texas on Sunday. So uh, a 500 record, you know, <laughs> not too bad, uh, I guess. So, But beating a, a top five team in the nation is huge. So shout out to them, Ben Shelton, Coach Shelton, uh, Tuarte Valley, and, uh, you know, the uh, boys tennis. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk more about them in the future weeks as they uh, continue into their their spring season here. Um, I do have I do have I guess one final thought that's kind of just dumb. Damn it, Ryan! We my, already passed your turn. <laughs> as, as as most of my final thoughts are, I love how every athlete that like goes to a major college, like every time their college does something impressive, it's like, oh, I wonder if they're like any extra motivation or any symmetry here for everyone except Matt Stafford. <laughs> like the, everyone just like collectively chooses to forget that he's a bulldog, which like okay fine. Like I'm not gonna remind everybody on like if he plays in the Super Bowl that he went to Georgia, but, but like it feels like I feel, he I played feel like, at Georgia like 30 years ago. I know, but like <laughs> it's if, a vastly if, different program than I, when Matt Stafford went there. I know, but could you imagine like if Michigan had won this championship this year and Tom Brady made it to the NFC Championship? Like we'd never hear the end of like oh the symmetry. If Brady wins two more, he'll win the same year as Michigan. But like there's no one cares because it's Matt Stafford. <laughs> Guys, is John Harbaugh still going to be at Michigan come next year? Uh, no, I have a very – I'd like to make the educated guess that he's going to the Raiders, especially after they fired Mayock. I feel like that's kind of what they're building too. Like he's he's the only prospect. Wow. He's the only – You know, I just threw that out there. I didn't think either of you would take it. <laughs> no, he's, he, he, I think he's the only coach on the market who would demand roster control on top of head coaching responsibilities. Yep. And I think them relieving Mayock, despite Mayock not really making roster decisions the last three years under John <laughs> Gruden. Um, they basically fired Mike Mayock from a job that he hadn't been doing um, <laughs> or hadn't been allowed to do would be a better way to say it. There um, you go. Uh, a lot of but, people get fired for doing it for not doing their job. That's true. Um, Mike Mayock got fired from a job he wasn't allowed to do. Um, but I feel like he's the only guy. Like if you're firing your GM in this instance, there's like one guy that you kind of have your eye on who could do both. Well, I like it. I would like to see that happen because I, I, Michigan. No, I, I, I want Basachi to get a job. I think he did enough in the later half of the season, and how much that team played for him, and how close they came to beating Cincy. If if he doesn't get retained by Vegas, I hope he gets a job somewhere. Yeah. Um, all right. The last thing I've got is um, we mentioned baseball season. Today, we at the date of recording is January 18th, which means we are one month away from the start of baseball. Uh, Florida, Florida opens on, on February 18th against gonna, Liberty. <laughs> I'm never going to be prepared for that. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm, I'm going to talk through it every single time. Um, but February 18th against Liberty at the ballpark here. Um, if you haven't been out to the brand new ballpark, it is a beautiful, it is a palace and uh, it deserves a full capacity crowd. Um, yeah, guys, I got nothing else, but I uh, appreciate y'all joining us uh, for Jesse Richardson, for Ryan Haley. Thanks for coming in and uh, we'll see y'all next week. Have a great week, everybody. Appreciate y'all. Peace out.